You're listening to a Bellingcat Discord server stage talk titled Making Investigating Companies Easier. For the first stage talk of 2024, we were joined by Bellingcat Technical Fellow George Dyer. George is a developer and an entrepreneur and secured the Bellingcat Fellowship with his toolkit idea. The toolkit is designed to make navigating US company regulatory databases easier using a Python script to collect and analyze data that takes a long time to collect manually or is capped on the website. In the Discord stage talk, George spoke about why he decided this toolkit was needed and how he went about building it. He also discusses the limitations to the toolkit and what he hopes to build next. You can find links to his tools and a guide he wrote up on the Bellingcat website in the description of this podcast. The talk was hosted by me, Charlotte Marr, on Thursday the 18th of January in the Bellingcat Discord server. So hi, welcome, happy new year. Uh, Bellingcat stage talks are back and boy, do we have an interesting one to kick things off. Uh, This is George Dyer, uh, most recently a Bellingcat technical fellow. George is a developer and entrepreneur and is the co-founder of Inform or Informatism, an AI and data research firm that is currently building a financial news and data platform. During his time at Bellingcat, George built a useful toolkit for financial researchers and journalists. The toolkit, which he is going to showcase today, allows users to navigate the US company regulatory database, EGGER, with ease. EGGER is is free to access, unlike many others in the US, but is underused. The toolkit George has built improves the usability of the database itself, as George talks, please put all your questions in the chat. I can't stress this enough. Please put all your questions in the chat and I will ask them uh, to George once we move into the Q&A section of the discussion. Okay. Um, without further ado, George, do you want to take the stage? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, and thank you to everyone who uh, who's attending. I'm looking forward to sharing my work with you. Um, yeah, so I'll start with a quick overview of what Edgar is and what it isn't. Um, the database of many corporate records that have been compiled and maintained by the United States government. It uh, does not cover every company in the world, uh, obviously, because it's a um, database maintained by the U.S. government. So. Nonetheless, it does contain um, a lot of foreign companies. Basically, the requirement is if a company is publicly traded in the United States, then it has to um, file its quarterly financial information um, to the to the database. Um, in addition to other periodic uh, filings regarding updates to the board of directors, um, votes. Uh, regarding uh, the direction that the corporation is going to take and, of course, any basically any material update about the company's health. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting resource. Of course, the main I'll start with the main caveat is that all of the material that's updated, uploaded to Edgar is produced by the companies. So it's, you know, you kind of have to take their word for it. Um, but there are many methods that you can use to... Um, uncover uh, ways that companies can try to hide the truth in how they report their financials or other information. But it 
just as a warning that you can't, uh, usually the interesting facts are not just going to pop out at you. Um, and so that was one of the things that motivated me to make this tool is that you kind of want to do a statistical analysis on the information contained within it, or at least to compare many, many companies over many, many years, um, because that's where the interesting patterns can emerge. And the way the website is set up is very limiting towards that end in, in many respects. So I told you that the you know there's going to be a, mostly United States-based corporations, but some foreign ones that... Um, are traded on United States exchanges. There's another area uh, that's pretty fruitful uh, and a little less known is that um, yeah, this database is maintained by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the important word here is securities. So even if a company does not have to meet the quarterly filing requirements, if the company issues a security, it's generally going to have to um, file a document or a set of documents with SEC that's going to be independent from the financial reports. So that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. If You, you might be able to track uh, smaller corporations, uh, partnerships, and whatnot, because the, the definition of what a security is is a whole other topic that I think is interesting, <laughs> but it's quite arcane. But basically, it's a very... It's a very um, broad um, definition. So for example, if you have a, a, a partnership and you have some people who are investors in the partnership, but they do not actually contribute work to the partnership, their ownership interest is going to be considered a security. And so even a relatively small partnership might have to upload filings uh, to the Edgar database. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and the documents are going to be contained uh, in, in various filing types um, that I've listed here. It's rather confusing. I honestly don't know what all of them refer to. I think it's uh, that you could spend a, a whole career, um, you know, studying the stuff. And it's definitely not my career. <laughs> so what I've been focusing on in, in my work is mainly um, quarterly and annual reports, as you can see in the table. I'll, those of you can see the uh, the slides, the 10Q and 10K reports. 20F is for foreign companies. Um, these are where companies are going to be reporting their financial results uh, and also, as I mentioned earlier, kind of material changes to the company. Uh, you know, important things like if they have a new CEO, um, if they have, have you know changed their auditor, law firm, stuff like that. Um, as to the requirement to make a filing when you issue securities, those are going to be in the first row of this table, S1, S2, and all this. And I don't want to scare you away with all this stuff, but I just want you to know that my tools are designed to allow you to um, kind of pick and choose which direction you want to go into. So if you're more interested in kind of keeping track of the quarterly and annual reports, there's a field for that in the tool, uh, but if you're thinking, I want to try to find if any partnerships, have partnership agreements have been made that might involve a certain individual, then you would want to search outside of this universe of you know quarterly and annual reports and get into um, 
you know, the, the forms that are associated with the issuance of a security. Um, and that's a really fun rabbit hole to go down. Uh, so, yeah, the use cases, I think, are pretty self-explanatory. Um, the use cases that I use them for are mainly journalism um, and research. I'm really excited about the data science applications here, um, but I have not yet had time to uh, really dive into that. But I think it, it's a wonderful way to just accumulate a lot of data and, and play with it, whether you want to work with uh, numeric data or, I mean, all the, the textual information can be really interesting as you know, all the hype about large language models. Um, this this is a really fruitful database uh, to work with that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so without further ado, I will explain what the tools do and what problems they attempt to uh, solve. So the first problem is that when you try to search the database, um, and this, in, you know, in the screenshot that I've shared, for those of you who can't see, I'm searching for the word synergies, which is uh, one of my favorite words because it, it just doesn't mean anything really. Uh, it's like one of the, it's kind of a word that corporations use to um, basically justify how they're going to waste resources uh, to prop to make profits for themselves and in a way that sounds good. So we're gonna we're gonna acquire this company to increase synergies, um, and it's a fun word to work with because um, it's a good way of you know, finding companies that tend to um, engage in a lot of uh, BS, for lack of a better word. Um, so in this example, if you search for such a such a term that might be um, showing up a lot in the data, you're going to get 10,000 search results. And that is like the, the hard limit on the number of search results that you can get, which is really too bad because I know that this search term has millions of results or... And and so even if you could, um, you know, somehow spend a couple days manually clicking through each result, um, you know, you're 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 not going to have the results in a in a structured format that you can use. And I, I believe it would have been pretty easy for them to just create an option to um, have a download function on the website, but they didn't do it. So I, I created one for us. Um, so as you can find uh, in the suite of tools there, um, there's a function called, uh, I don't remember what it's called now, our Edgar search something dot, dot Python. Uh, so it has a number of um, search fields that you can put. You can um, determine what the length of time you want to search and what took me a lot of time to to work on is to overcome this 10,000 uh, search result limit. So what the function automatically does is it breaks down uh, the search into time, um, I guess, periods of time that return less than 10,000 results, and then it um, kind of adds them together to produce, in the end, uh, basically a CSV file, which is a type of file that's readable by humans, but is also pretty nifty um, for programmatic applications um, in the sense that it's really easy to plug into a Python script, but you know you can also just open it in Excel and, and check it out and uh, filter it manually and so forth. So here's an example of you know what you what you would get out of the search tool. And you can of course you know filter it by um, 
the type of uh, filing, and I've included a file link, which is a link to the file where the term uh, was found. Um, but I also included a link to the filing, which is, I should have come up with a better term for that. It's basically the, the index document associated with the file, which contains, each filing will generally contain several files, like the HTML file, the pure text file, but also some images. And sometimes uh, those images might be as innocuous as like a photo of the brand, uh, but it can also be uh, a table. And for quarterly and annual reports, there's going to be a host of uh, files in XBRL format that will be explaining the numbers and the relationships between the numbers contained within filings. Um, so let's see what we can do with just this raw data. By raw data, I mean the CSV file produced by the tool, you can, you know, plug it into some uh, pretty easy to use Python libraries, uh, such as Plotly, to, you know, plot out the search results, and you can already see some interesting um, trends, you know, the use of synergy definitely goes up with time as companies, I don't, I don't know if, you know, I don't want to make assumptions about why it's trending upwards, but it's interesting to think about. And I think if you are able to structure your um, arguments and data in a, in a rigorous way, I think it's definitely possible to make arguments about what might be happening on a macro scale and, um, based on this data set. And it's research that's uh, been used a lot by an by someone by the name of Robert Schiller from Yale University. And a lot of his research is based on the frequency of terms as they appear in newspapers uh, over time. And I think it's also interesting to include uh, the corporate filings um, into that database. So another interesting thing to look at is, of course, which company is using this term the most. Uh, I saw this company named XPO Logistics. I looked at it before the meeting, and it's interesting to see that uh, its share price has increased by over 2,000% over the last 10 years. And But they're a small trucking company. So, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see what is really happening with this company. I'm not saying that they are <laughs> doing anything wrong, but for someone who's interested in forensic accounting, uh, searching for problematic terms or, you know, just uncovering these... Um, these patterns can be an interesting starting point to research. Um, and if I had time, I definitely want to dive into the financials of XPL logistics because something tells me that. <laughs> anyway, um, moving on to the second problem that, is, that you might face when you're trying to use um, Edgar is that they do offer a number of RSS feeds that are really interesting. Um, the press releases is, is it every day companies are having to um, reach settlement, agree settlement agreements with SEC because of violations. Um, similarly, the litigation releases is a really interesting thing to look at if you're trying to keep tabs on corporations. What I built a tool for uh, does not apply to either of those RSS feeds, although I'd like to in the future uh, work on that. What I focused on is the daily filing feed. So 
companies don't all report their um, financials on the same day. It's kind of on a rolling basis. Each company defines its financial year in a different way. Um, so basically, every single day, you might have anywhere from 10 to hundreds of companies reporting uh, their financial data. And the RSS feed is just this wall of text. Um, it can be pretty, here's a small excerpt of it, but it can be um, really daunting to look at if you are not, um, you know, some IT inclined. Um, but also, it would be nice to have a feature where you can choose beforehand which companies you'd like to uh, keep tabs on. Now, Edgar does offer this, but you need to sign up for each RSS feed individually. So that's fine if you're interested in, in following, you know, 10, 5, maybe 20 companies. But it's also interesting to be able to, you know, have a list of 500 or 1,000 companies. Or, for example, you could use the search tool to narrow down a list of companies that you might think... Uh, are, are relevant to your research and then set up the RSS feed to filter out the, the companies that are interested in. So here's an example of the output of the RSS tool. Um, it's going to be rather similar to uh, the output of the, the search tool. Again, but it seems that I omitted here the filing link. I just included... What did I do? Oh, this is the link to the filing only, uh, that index document I, I mentioned earlier. So behind each link, you will find four or five documents. So the third problem that I encountered when I was using Edgar, um, um, I got a little bit ahead of myself. <laughs> Still on the, on the topic of uh, the RSS feed. This is an example of this filing document I kept mentioning. So when you click on a link, you're going to get, um, you know, some different files. It seems that I cut off the bottom of this because I wanted to show you that just the x99.1 file is generally the most interesting one uh, because it contains the text of the press release. And generally the press releases, I mean, this ties back to what I said about the main caveat of, of Edgar is that it's just it's content produced by the corporation. So a lot of it is potentially lies or misleading. But if you know that ahead of time, you can, you know, exploit it to your advantage. Uh, so here's just a random company that happened to have a press release. And this is its format. It's always containing statements from the executive team on how pleased they are with the results and, and blah, blah, blah. But again, if you're able to, um, you know, process these in a programmatic way, it can be really interesting. And of course, um, using LLMs to summarize these, uh, to rewrite them, is a really interesting application. It's something that, that I've been working on over the last couple months. So down to the hard data, this is, this is the third, uh, issue I had with uh, working with Edgar and one that I'm still working on. I think if I continue to work on this problem, I will be working on it for many years to come. <laughs> it is quite, uh, it's quite challenging. So my basic desire was to be able to quickly and reliably compare the financial data from several companies or one company over time. And the issue with that is that within the Edgar database, each point of data is 
going to have to be called something. So in this example that I've shared, I'm showing you uh, the time series of the earnings per share of a company in Taiwan called um, the Taiwanese Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, which is a large uh, chip manufacturer. And there are several issues with this data set, um, one of which is that the, they might not use the same name for earnings per share for every year that the data is reported. So here you can see that it's called basic earnings loss per share. But then when I open, um, and so this covers results from earlier in the decade, 2015 to 2018. But if I open up uh, the calculation sheet, which is a document that is appended to the quarterly and annual filings, it contains all of the data that is going to be used within that filing. I chose something from a more recent year to show that this term, earnings loss, doesn't even show up. It's not being used anymore in 2022. So what's necessary is to have a system for finding earnings per share in earlier years using one term and then trying different terms for later years. So within one company, the term is not going to be consistent. From one company to another, the term is not going to be consistent. And so my first approach to this problem was to um, make a dictionary for myself, you know, using a simple term, you know, earnings per share, EPS. Uh, how many different data tags does Edgar use for this term throughout the database? And I created a script that tries each tag and sees if it gives me a result. And that worked pretty well, but then I realized that sometimes a company will use overlapping tags. So then which one do you choose? In the example of earnings per share, it's going to be pretty consistent. But when you get into um, data contained within the balance sheet, like different types of, um, of debt, for example, there's going to be a lot of overlap. So you can't simply just add up all of the different terms that might refer to debt because then it's just going to be disproportionate. Um, I really didn't know how to solve this problem until I decided to um, actually scrape the reports that are published on the website. Um, and by that, I mean, when, when a company releases its report, it's going to be in a mostly text file with some uh, tables in it. And what's amazing to me is that the data contained within the tables of the report does not always match up with the data contained uh, within the database. Um, so my way of thinking is that the, the final report is going to be the one that's audited by the, the auditor. And... It's the one that the corporate uh, management is going to have to sign off. Um, and after the dot-com bust and some high-profile uh, frauds, and mainly Enron, um, they changed the law so that uh, I believe the CEO and, and CFO and maybe some other corporate officers have to sign off on each report, um, basically uh, vouching for its accuracy. So I figured that whatever numbers are in that report are probably more accurate than the ones in the data set because I feel that the, the data set is probably the data within the data set might be entered 
I mean, it's just easier for a mistake to happen. So I feel that there's like more eyes that are on the actual report. So my, the latest iteration of my uh, of my script is basically whenever I see an inconsistency in the raw data, I'm going to open up that year's um, financial report and scrape it and attempt to, in this case, get the earnings per share in this manner. So, yeah, I think this can all be very, I mean, it's confusing for me, so I can, I can only imagine what it's like having to hear this uh, if you, especially if you're not um, someone who knows how to program computers. Um, and so basically, these tools are not really usable by most people. And that's a problem because I think a lot of this stuff is interesting to a lot of people. So. Uh, what we're hoping to do is to build an interface that enables all of this data to be accessed without the use of any coding. You can simply, you know, enter your search terms, enter a company, and get the results uh, directly. So we're hoping to be able to implement that um, over the next year. And uh, yeah, and that's it. Here's some just some resources I put up. Uh, that you can consult if you are interested in this topic and want to learn more. So that's it. I'm happy to take your questions now. Amazing. Thanks so much, George, for taking us through that. And I have to thank Galen, uh, who throughout your talk was taking screenshots of your slides and putting them in the chat for those of us who couldn't see them. So thank you, Galen, for doing that as well. Super yeah. useful. <laughs> Okay, thank you, George, uh, for assisting with that, despite the tech issues as well. Um, I wanted to first start off the questions, and please, if you have any questions for George, please place them in the chat. Thank you to those who've done it already. Um, I wanted to start off by asking kind of what sparked your idea for this toolkit? What, what first got you into uh, financial research, and how did you figure out that this was a problem that needed fixing? Um. It's purely for selfish reasons. Um, with with COVID, I um, got some money from unemployment, and I thought, well, I guess the you know I'm 35. At the time, I was 32. I've got to be a responsible person and uh, you know invest it. I guess so. Being uh, being a nerdy person, I wanted to figure out how to invest correctly and just. The next question is, what sort of data should I look at? Um, I was looking for free data, and I heard of Edgar, and that kind of led me down this rabbit hole of uh, trying to get investing data. And then around the same time, uh, with my friends, we had an idea of creating um, a website that was based on AI and, um, I guess, basically generating content uh, programmatically. And it seemed to me, based on my research into finance, that the financial domain would be a fruitful area to try to build that website in because of the, you know, there's a lot of data and it's refreshed daily. So it could give us the tools to kind of create content daily. So that was kind of the idea, basically just, um, just an exercise. I suppose <laughs> and it all uh i don't know i guess it's a passion project so i was working on it and then i 
I've been following Bellingcat for many years, um, and I noticed the technical fellowship, and it seemed to fit. So I applied. And I mean, if you'd asked me a year ago if I'd be, you know, bashing my head against the wall trying to figure out how Edgar organizes its XBRL data, I really wouldn't have believed you. But that's what happened. So just rolled with it. Very fruitful exploration, I think. Um, thanks for that. Um, we've got a few questions in the in the chat uh, that I want to make sure that I prioritize. Um, Rafi asks, "What search operators are there for Edgar?" It's an interesting question because um, there is another uh, part of Edgar that enables. Uh, the use of operators, and I was playing around with it during my during the building of these tools. And I don't know if it's my incompetence or the, an actual bug in the Edgar side, but I can never get it to work. And I I am a lawyer, and I do use uh, search and connectors in um, searching legal databases. So I kind of know how it works. I have experience with that, and I couldn't get the Edgar system to work, um, but it does exist. And what my tool is based off of um, is a, a different type of search that is just um, natural language. And I think you, I don't think it supports those terms. That's my understanding. And I didn't really take that into consideration. But if someone wants to check it out and figure out how it works, that'd be great. Because it, it would be uh, more powerful, for sure. Um, Yeet and uh, Max LT have uh, some kind of related questions. Yeet asks, are there any services we can deploy for persistent data acquisition slash analysis on Edgar? And then Max LT says, has uh, SEC... SEC shared why they don't enable programmatic API access to Edgar for keyword queries as well. I didn't. I, uh, the second question is uh, no. I I don't know why. I know that there are some wrappers that that exist, but they're generally a paid uh, service that enables you to do basically what the tool does. I don't know why Edgar doesn't implement that. I, I imagine it's a lack of resources, but also I think it's the understanding that, um, I mean, the Edgar database is designed to be crawler friendly and to allow the use of programmatic tools. There's only two rules um, is that when you um, make a request, you have to identify yourself via an email address and um, that there's a 10 request per second uh, limit on on that. So they're just, just to keep people from really spamming it. Um, but I guess they figure that people just build the tools that they want and that they don't have enough time or energy or funding to, to build themselves. And the first question that was asked, I don't remember what it was, but while I still remembered it, I knew that I didn't understand it. Okay, so Maybe question, if you could ask it again. Yeah, the question from Yeet was, are there any services we can deploy for persistent data acquisition slash analysis on Edgar? I don't, I don't understand. 
uh, you, maybe in the question. Maybe, maybe if they can follow the chat, follow up. Can you clarify your question. I see they're typing right now. Um, while they are typing, um, could you just explain some of the reasons why Edgar is so underused? I mean, you went through some of the problems that you've kind of tackled with your tool, um, but is there any other reasons why you think this particular uh, free to access um, database isn't? widely used or is underused in, in your own words? I think it's c convenience. Um, you know, it's not particular. It's user-friendly in some ways. Um, for example, they tried to make this simple search interface, but it just, you know, if you have a search term that returns too many results, it just becomes really cumbersome uh, to use. Um, the data is inconsistent even if you can figure out all the the tags there's numerous errors in the data um, that require manual checking or you kind of have to have backup you have to include in your system some way of checking the data against itself i'd say anywhere like around five percent i don't want to put a number on it but errors are frequent um so i think that could be a reason why people don't use it more. But I think the main reason is that they're simply paid services that offer high quality data at a relatively low price point and that most people who are interested in this are able to pay the price. And in my the article that I wrote for Bellingcat, the examples I chose, um, I chose those examples because they, um, they're based on how Wall Street Journal accesses this data. And they were using two, um, I'm speculating here, but I imagine when you're a journalist for the Wall Street Journal, you just have access to probably a Bloomberg terminal, um, Standard & Poor's Capital, all, all these huge data sets. And there's, why would a journalist who has access to that you know, roll up their sleeves and, and try to use Edgar. So I guess my idea with the tool is that, you know, if you're not working for the Wall Street Journal, if you're not working for a hedge fund, you know, what tools can you use? And so I think, I don't remember where I'm going. I think I'll just end it there. <laughs> I guess my follow-up question would be then, um, who do you see using your toolkit? Um, do you see yourself kind of convincing those journalists um, that have previously been a little bit uh, hesitant to use Edgar using this toolkit? Or do you see uh, other individuals making use of this, uh, potentially uh, freelancers and things like that? I think definitely, I mean, if I were a freelance journalist, I would, I would jump on it because I feel that that's probably... Um, yeah, again, going going back to my own experience as uh, as a lawyer, you know, if you don't work for a big firm, access to data is a big problem. Um, I imagine it's similar for journalists is that you're always trying to find good data without having to break the bank. Um, so I think the use case is pretty clear for journalists. Um, but I, I think it's also really fruitful for academics um, and also lawyers. I think that... Um, <laughs> a lot of evidence and really just interesting background information that can be obtained here. So I think it kind of speaks for itself. 
So Yeats come back and clarify some uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're asking, um, is there a way of checking, uh, doing a simple drift analysis, so checking cash balances from fiscal to fiscal, as an example, and do that across a volume of companies on uh, a go or within your toolkit? So any services that do that? I guess I'm getting hung up on 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 the term the service that does that, but basically, what um, you know, there are three tools. Two of them are Python scripts for basically obtaining a list of companies. The third tool is just a, and I guess now I understand my because my presentation wasn't clear about what the output of the third tool is, is that it's just a very large CSV file, with all the data that I was able to get in a consistent manner for every company throughout the years. So in, in that sense, it, you can run any sort of analysis you, you want on the data. I hope that, I hope that answers the question, but I'm happy, if it doesn't, I'm happy to clarify. Thanks so much, George. Uh, Tristan, my colleague asks, do you know of other countries that have similar tools as Edgar to access their own company's data? Um, so, for example, if you're researching in different countries, are you aware of any other similar tools like Edgar uh, to access their company's data? Um, when I was building the tool, I talked to Bellingcat uh, member uh, Ross Higgins, who he's, he told me about, uh, I think it's called Company House in, in the, for the United Kingdom. Um, that he didn't. He seemed to have. Uh, didn't seem that the data was very well organized, or as well organized as Edgar. Um, so I hope that my presentation didn't come off as being like Edgar's ad. I think it has shortcomings, but I do think it's you know, all things considered, it's really well organized. Um, but I've been so busy working with Edgar, I haven't really looked at what other countries are using or doing. I do what I can say is that um you know the the data contained within Edgar is written in XBRL format, which I believe is used across the world. I don't think I, I don't want to say it's used everywhere, but at least if you become comfortable with that data format, I imagine that, you know, whatever is used in France or Indonesia, I mean hopefully follows that format, but I don't know. That was a really long way of saying I don't know. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's used Companies House for investigative journalism, I can uh, definitely uh, tell you that it's uh, very um, messy, very unorganized. Uh, a lot of the filings don't follow the same kind of um, formats, so really difficult to scrape as well um, on keywords. Um, yeah, it's terrible. Um, Galen has put though in the in the chat uh, somebody obviously who has also experienced Companies House. Uh, he says Companies House in the UK is famously good and bad simultaneously. The UK does have a bunch of APIs for Companies House though, so there is that. Though their persons of significant control data isn't linked to their other records. Yeah, that's what I mean by uh, disorganized and messy. Um, in terms of this particular toolkit, George, you mentioned in your presentation that there was a few things that you wish you could take further. 
Um, what kind of developments would you like to see of this toolkit going forward in the future? Um, I had to think long and hard about it because I did apply for another tech fellowship with Edgar, uh, with Edgar, <laughs> or Edgar with Bellingcat. Uh, so I did kind of create a wish list. Um, this time I wouldn't build it alone, but I'd build it with uh, my my colleague from my company who is really good at building um, dashboards. So we kind of we sat down together and I had a wish list and he told me what was, you know, reasonable and, and not so reasonable. So he kind of hopefully you can still see my screen. If not, I am. I went back to the slide where I put my wish list, but um, it, it, it's basically um, I think it'd be cool to have a map that summarizes the frequency of hits uh, based on each uh, location. Uh, I would like to be able to quickly generate time series um, and, and bar charts for automatically from each search and to be able to save those searches, like maybe four or five of them and to be able to switch back and forth between them to kind of do just quick comparisons. And also to integrate it with uh, the CSV file of all the financial data so that when you click on a given company, uh, you can just quickly access all the financial data. I think that would be really cool and, and seems to be achievable. Um, and I just want to make something clear um, because I didn't really mention this, but Edgar does offer APIs for accessing the financial data. And that was how I originally wanted to build the tool. I, I thought that I would be able to build a wrapper for the API. Um, but it's just too, too crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out because for reasons. But basically, the way my system works is that I have to have all of the data at once to kind of make it work because of the, the need to compare different data sets amongst themselves. So I just, and I think those so the speed limit, the, the fact that you're limited to 10 calls per second, um, you know, Edgar does allow you to download all of the data they have. And it's not that big. I think it's like, or gigs. So I, I just download it every few weeks and play with it and try to improve the table and then upload it again to uh, the place where we're hosting it. Amazing. And how, how can people get in contact with you if there's any developers or any interested parties in the audience? Uh, how can they get in contact with you if they want to help you work on that wish list of yours? Um, I didn't think of that. Uh, I guess the best way, I mean, because if we're talking about the tools and, and improving them, I guess I would go to the, uh, the Bellingcat GitHub where the tools are hosted and you can open up an issue. Um, and then I think that's, I mean, I'm kind of new to GitHub to be honest. <laughs> so, but I think that's the point of GitHub is to like collaborate there. Um, so I'd recommend, uh, I'd recommend that, but if, Yep, I'm sure uh, Galen, I see Galen is typing. I'm hoping he's going to share the GitHub link uh, in the chat. Um, but I'll also include it in the description of the podcast as well. So anybody who's listening, thank you, Tristan. Tristan beat you, Galen. Um, method and discipline also mentioned, uh, just to Tristan's question earlier, that there's also CEDAR, S-E-D-A-R, in Canada, which 
host mm. company filings, but they've never used it. Uh, they put a little link in the chat for those looking. Oh, cool. Um, you've got about 15 minutes left for questions, guys, so please get them in. I can see a few people typing. I wanted to move away just quickly from uh, kind of this specific toolkit and ask you just more generally what you see as the developer's role in the advancement of news and research. So how do you think developers um, and entrepreneurs like yourself can kind of help advance um, research techniques and, and um, journalist techniques uh, for the future? Um. Yeah, I'd say it's essential because so much of, you know, a, a greater and greater portion of reality seems to exist in, in the shape of data and that, you know, the world as we perceive it physically seems to make up a smaller and smaller portion of that reality. So if the goal of journalism is to uncover truth and, and most of the world exists in a digital format, then I think... You know, the ability to engage with those digital formats is more important um, than ever. And I say that as someone who um, hates computers. And I uh, just kind of, uh, you know, I eventually I just realized I just have to have to learn how to use them, I guess. There's no other, there's no other choice. Um, or at least that, that was a choice that I, that I made. Um, I think it's really essential not not to say that I mean I think there'll always be a role um for people just going out into the world and talking to people and seeing hearing smelling really experiencing things and I think that um is a different way of uncovering truth but um I I would say that data is slightly more objective um but I think it's not as objective as people think. And, and I think that is another important role for developers is to ensure that the tools they develop are, um, you know, I want to use the word honest, but I, I guess I'm, by that I mean uh, rigorous, to make sure that the results that they return are actually um, accurate. And that's a big danger with, um, with AI because of the potential for hallucination and errors. And I think it... And I've often found uh, on this in my own work is that when you build a piece of code, whether it uses AI or not, it doesn't matter. It's really fun to just get the results. And it's such a gratifying feeling and you want to believe the results are true. Um, but more often than not, as you continue to engage with those results, you see that what you, your method is wrong and that what you what last week you were taking as truth was, is just complete nonsense. Um, so it's definitely a process. Um, I'd say you have to be skeptical of the tools you use and also uh, the tools you build. And so that's why I'm happy to be posting the tools where people can point out the errors and, and improvements. I wouldn't be surprised if they stop working in their current form at, at, at some point as, you know, Edgar is a website that might be updated that might make small tweaks to how they um organize the data and it'll be necessary to you know roll up our sleeves once again and, and try to make them work. Thanks for that. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, especially in the world of AI development, we have to be super careful 
um, and support each other in all of our roles. Um, please do put your questions in the chat. We're, we're about 10 minutes away from wrapping up. And thank you, George, for continuing to talk to us uh, today. Um, in terms of the, in terms of uh, other projects that you've got, got, got going on, I mentioned in your intro that you are currently um, working on uh, financial, um, financial, I think, media place. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that project? Um, Mark, I think it's called Market Inference. Yeah, I was actually really, I, I was going to sh share it more directly today because I was really excited about having um, integrated one of the tools into the website with some pretty heavy modifications. But basically, um, we have a system now where we um, take the daily RSS feed and we do filter it by market cap just to ensure that we have... Not that companies with larger market caps are are better, but just maybe a little more normal. <laughs> uh, so we take those companies that have released a filing and we open up the press release that's associated with that. We feed that into a large language model and produce a summary and then also contrast that summary with the results of... Um, financial data that we've collected and it's the results are pretty interesting because as i pointed out in the example of a press release earlier um you know the company is also is always just very optimistic about what they've reported and it's interesting to you know have a quote from the ceo saying like our company's never done better and then below it you have a table that shows that their you know revenue is basically decreasing over um a really long time so yeah, I, I really like this website. It's a lot of work. And of course, this system I'm talking about broke uh, over the weekend, and we're trying to figure out why. <laughs> so uh, we're kind of running in backup mode right now, where we just have kind of templated articles that are appearing. But the the general idea is to provide a daily unbiased overview of what companies are, are moving in share price and, and providing data that can enable investors to make, uh, you know, reasonable decisions on that basis. And so that's something that I want to keep working on that I'll probably be working on uh, for a long time. I'm reading, um, you know, at this this book, I think I mentioned it in the, in the resources. It's called Financial Shenanigans by Howard M. Schillett. Um, and he's a pretty cool guy. He founded a, an organization called CFRA, and they're basically forensic accountants. And they and he was he testified during the congressional hearings in the wake of uh, the Enron meltdown to basically explain why as Enron lost all of its um share value, why professional uh stock analysts kept recommending it as a buy. Many people kept buying the stock, even it, even though it was clear uh, for anyone with an accounting background that the company was not only doomed but had been um, had been a sham for many many years. Um, so he wrote a book that I'm now trying to decipher because I'm not an accountant, so it's, it's pretty rough. <laughs> but I'm, my idea is to take a, is to learn how to identify patterns of the past 
that can maybe predict what companies might be engaged in fraudulent behavior. I think it's really difficult because I think that the best frauds are are those that have not been thought of yet. So of course, a historical review of fraud is not going to give me the tools to uncover it moving forward. But I think, you know, it's a good primer on how to commit fraud. I mean, not that I want to do that, but that I want to figure out how other people are doing it. So those those are kind of my my projects for the next uh for the next year, probably. Amazing. You heard it here first, folks. If uh, George in a year or so I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> you can use his tools to uh expose him. Um last last call for questions in the chat. Um People are still complaining about Companies House in the UK. Uh, Raiva says, in the UK, you can make freedom of information requests to various government bodies on the information they hold. I know that for information for which there are regular requests by a number of requesters, that the information may be generated regardless for anyone's download. Formats vary. I don't believe there's any standard format and data formats may be subject to change without notice. To be honest, it sounds like we need a toolkit on Companies House uh, after this conversation. Tristan's just put as well, a friend of mine who's studying to get their certified fraud examiner license has said several times that the course is a great way to learn about different ways to do fraud. <laughs> uh, in case you want to tip on that. Which, which, which course? Uh, he's not actually noted that. Tristan, which course? Huh. People want to know. Um, Rafi has asked uh, a genuine question. I was messing around with Edgar a bit. Is the SEC form NQ data included with it? I'm missing documents that should be in it. Form NQ is a reporting form for investment companies that lists what shares they own and what they think they're worth. NQ form. Uh, As I said at the beginning, I've only been focusing on some of the forms. I I don't know if if you can still see my screen, but I've actually scrolled back up to the part of my presentation where I have an overview of the form types included in... Edgar, and I do not see NQ. I see N1A, N2 through N5, and N14. But NQ is something that I'm not aware of. So you mean that when you've tried to do a search, sorry, a text search of Edgar, you do not receive any NQ form results? Is that the the issue? I believe so. They said, yes, those documents I got from Google should be filed to the SEC as well. Um, seems like mm. they managed to find it from, in Google, but not managed to find it in Agra. Yeah, okay. Well, there, um, I mean, I want to encourage, if, if anyone's like really deeply interested in Edgar, I mean, you can spend a lot of time. It's really like a labyrinth of, as I mentioned earlier, there's like a, um, terms and conditions search that's kind of hard to find that exists in there. And something that I found quite recently is called the reading room or digital reading room where you can look at, and I'm not sure this is where the NQ forms might be hiding, but for example, forms that are um, filed by hand for whatever reason, like there's a whole place where you can search for and read those. I have no idea how it works. It's something that exists. Um, it doesn't surprise me that you'd be able to find something on Google and and not Edgar. But as to how to solve that problem, I I don't know yet. But it's interesting. I'm going to make a note of what an NQ form is and see if it if it if it overlaps with um, my research projects. I will definitely try to add that. 
love that. We're uh, making a wish list for you. Um, if you have any other requests for George, you can contact him <laughs> on Twitter or GitHub by the sounds of it. Um, Tristan said, if, if any of you listening to this podcast or listening in the audience right now and seriously want to commit for fraud, Tristan says it's an American course and the course is a CFE exam prep course. Uh, it's linked uh, mm. to www.acfe.com uh, who have training on it. Um, not See that Bellingham endorses fraud, of course. Um, I oh, think, you have to, sorry, go ahead. to learn how to do it to fight it, I think. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what we encourage. Um, thank you so much, George. I think we should wrap here, seeing as it's uh, nearly on the hour mark. Um, thank you so much for speaking with us today and for going through your toolkit. It is honestly fascinating. And I love that even though two of the tools are uh, Python related, that one of them you can access without uh, Python skills as well. Um, thank you so much for taking us through them. I'm sorry about the tech issues. And thank you for everyone listening. Um, George, is there anything you wanted to say to everyone before you go? Um, no, it's, it's like, I'll, I guess I'll just be keep keeping to work on these and hopefully to make uh, a code-free version of the, the tool soon. That's my goal. Amazing. I will have the toolkit link and the link to George's guide to the toolkit from Bellingcat's website in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and thank you everybody in the audience. All right. Return Bye, everyone. in two weeks yeah. for the next Bellingcat Stage Talk. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Stage Talk. If you'd like to catch a Stage Talk live where you can ask the guest questions, join the Bellingcat Discord server by visiting www.discord.gg slash bellingcat. The music you've heard is titled Dawn by Newer Self and is courtesy of Artlist.